Alright, let's take our Bibles and go to Psalm chapter 139. And this is our final week in our series, Christians in Politics or Christ in Culture. But how many of you uh, are aware that, that I'm a very happy man because I have a brand new, relatively speaking, nephew? Yes? And his name is Micah. His middle name is Jordan. By the way, did I tell you guys I have a new nephew? Yeah. And uh, I'm so excited because this morning, to start off the message, we're going to take a look at at Micah. Is that okay? Can you all indulge me just for a moment? All right, I'll just get out of the way and let's let's let it run with uh, Micah. Do you love mama? Do you love mama? He's been looking at his cross a lot today. He loves looking at his cross. He loves Jesus, don't you, Martha? You do. Do you know he loves you too? Yeah, I haven't told Micah that I showed him to all you guys, but when next time you're able to see him, he may be a little embarrassed about that. But did you notice what he was looking at? He's in that age, that was about the four-week time, and he just, he'll see something and he'll be focused on that. And when Josh sent me the video and I received that on my phone, I said, man, this is a winner. He was focused at that cross. You saw Cassie was holding his car like, Mom, get out of the way, I'm, I'm focused on the cross. And I just think... In light of abortion, in light of the family, in light of children, we understand that God has made all peoples in His image. doesn't matter if you are 100 years old or if you've not even been born. God has, as it says, go with me to Psalm chapter 139. As the Bible says there in verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, which is a metaphor for for the womb. In verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I, and This is talking about God's thoughts for us. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake, and I am still with you. What an amazing picture of the loving, fatherly figure that God is from before a person is even born all the way until the end of their days. And we, I don't know if you guys have heard, uh, there's a little rumor going around there's going to be some type of an election in a couple of days. And a lot of people are tense, depending on who you want to win. Now there's going to be a lot of people either upset on Wednesday or Tuesday night. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't get our living instructions from the Republican Party the Constitution Party, the Libertarian Party, the Democratic Party, the Green Party, the Communist Party, the Wacko Party, whatever party we want to affiliate ourselves with economically. Now, what we're going to look at this morning, I understand I'm in a swing state. I understand that in a lot of evangelical churches, it's just assumed that if you're a follower in of Jesus, you believe His Word, and His Word clearly teaches that personhood begins at the very moment of conception. So, I understand also that anytime you give a message like this to any size of a crowded church, not everyone will will agree with you. And I just would ask you please, um, and I've given this presentation before, and people have walked out, not this exact message, but on the same subject. If something hits you the wrong way, I just want to ask your mercy and just indulge me to hear me out. Okay? 
No matter what political party, no matter what persuasion you come from, whether you have had an abortion, whether you're contemplating getting one, whether you're dead set against abortion, please hear me out. All right? I'm just going to ask you to do that. And uh, go with me to your notes. And we've got everything packed on there that we can possibly pack on to our worship guide. But if you have some spare reading time, we have 16 pages of notes online. And all the nerds in the house said... Amen. We've got a lot of nerds here this morning. Okay, we've got uh, all sorts of documentation from the biblical standpoint, from world news, how abortion has encroached in many countries and regions around the world, especially there's a lot of European articles in there if you want to look at abortion in Europe. There's also arguments that people give for and against abortion. If you and Feel free to go and check that out later. But here's the driving thought, and this comes from God's Word. Abortion is murder. God hates murder. If you claim to love God, then don't support abortion. It's very, very simple. Let me read it one more time just so that we're all on the same page. Abortion is murder. God hates murder. If you claim to love God, then don't support abortion. It's very simple when you look at God's Word. But here's here's how the debate surrounding abortion becomes very, very dangerous. It has to do with the questions that are asked. Let me just give you several facts about what's happening around the world. As of 2010, 27% of all deaths in England and Wales are due to abortion. And if you look up what abortion means, it means the termination of a pregnancy. Pregnant with what? With a human. Or if you want to really, really uh, throw terms in there, a fetus that has 100% DNA. There's also uh, news back in October 1st of this year. There's what's called a Dutch abortion ship. It's from the Netherlands and it sails to places like Morocco, which is the subject of the article. And it sits slightly off the international waters point to where international law takes over and um, the laws of that country no longer apply. And it will sit in international waters and the women that have the means to get on a boat to come out into international waters can have their abortion there on that Dutch ship without fear of reprisal against their own government. There's also another article from the Washington Post, those right-wingers them. And it is called, that was a joke, it was called, Why Americans Are Becoming More Pro-Life. And the article says this, the 41% of Americans who now identify themselves as pro-choice is down from 47% last July and is 1% Percentage point below the previous record low in Gallup trends recorded in May of 2009. 50% now call themselves pro-life, one point shy of the record high. There's a great article, and we have this on the notes, by Trevin Wax. And it is, 10 questions pro-choice candidates are never asked by the media. When I saw the vice presidential debate and saw, regardless whether you like him or not, it was an attempted bushwhacking when he was asked about the life of the mother and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We'll see in just a few moments that that is an absolute smokescreen. And if you use that argument to support abortion, shame on you. Here are just a couple of the questions that are never asked to, that the media never asked pro-abortion candidates. Number one, in many states, a teenager can have an abortion without her parents' consent or knowledge, but cannot get an aspirin from the school nurse without parental authorization. Do you support parental notifications regarding abortion access for minors? That's a good question, but it's never asked. Another question that's never asked. If you do not believe that human life begins at conception, when do you believe it begins? At what stage of development should an unborn child have human rights? The president, Barack Obama, believes in partial birth abortion, which you can have the entire baby minus the head outside of the mother, and you can insert a surgical instrument and take the life of the mother, putting it on record, you can get mad. That is a cruel thing, and he's a cruel man for supporting it. Next question. Currently, when genetic testing reveals an unborn child has Down syndrome, most women choose to abort. How do you answer the charge that this phenomenon resembles the eugenics movement of the early 20th century that was for the weeding out of those that our society would deem, quote, unfit to live? Good question. 
but it never gets asked. Another question. Do you believe that an employer should be forced to violate his or her religious conscience by providing access to abortifacient drugs and contraception to employees if it violates the employer's religion and or moral beliefs? It's a question that's not asked. Another question that's not asked, and we're not going to go through all of these, is you describe abortion as a tragic choice. I've talked to a couple of people lately that are pro-choice, and they both claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. One happened uh, in with a group of classmates, Ph.D. guys, and one guy said that he is for keeping abortion legal, and he says he's a follower of Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I never try to be rude, but in front of everybody, I said, right now, tell me why and how you can support that based upon your belief in the Bible. And not even the belief in the Bible so much as it is belief in current medical research, that it's 100% DNA, and if you allow it to continue to develop, it will grow into you and I, will grow into a human. And all of the people I've talked to, even the president says that abortion, we want, want to see them lowered, but here's what they often describe, a pro-abortion person, would describe it as a tragic choice. Here's the question. If abortion is not morally objectionable, then why is it tragic? Stop and think. If it's a tragic choice, if it's something that we should seek with our tax dollars to have the number of abortions lowered, but there's nothing wrong with abortion, then why is it tragic in the first place? Does this mean that there is something about abortion that is different than other standard surgical procedures? The difference is, in an abortion, there's a human life that ends as opposed to other procedures that doctors do to try to help the person to recover. There's a world of difference. And finally, if a pregnant woman and her unborn child are murdered, do you believe the criminal should face two counts of murder and serve a harsher sentence? It's a good question, but it never gets asked. There's also a great article, and it's called Questions for Our Pro-Abortion Friends, Church Leaders, and Politicians by Kevin DeYoung. And the end of the article, his last sentence is this. What if Dr. Seuss was right and a person's a person no matter how small? Why celebrate the life to kill what you once were? Why deny the rights of the little one who is what you are? DNA, 100% human beings. Now, there are questions people say, now, Jeff, what about miscarriages? Is that the same as an abortion? Absolutely not. If you have had a miscarriage here today, we pray that you would experience the grace of God that would overflow in your heart, that He would repair that hurt. Of You have a couple and they want to have that child, they want to build that family, but tragically, the child dies before it is born. Do not feel that you are being punished by God, that you are being singled out. Sometimes these things happen and we just don't know why. So if you've had a miscarriage, the issue of abortion does not apply. Another question is what actually goes on in an abortion. I think it's interesting that we show all sorts of things on TV, don't we? Right? Whether you have cable or whether you don't, you can turn on TV and see pretty much anything. You can see any level of gory killing. You can see all sorts of sexuality. And you don't even have to look for it. It's just there. It inundates. It's like when you turn on your TV, you've got to put a filter because mess starts spilling out all into your living room. But I think it's very interesting that we've never seen an abortion on national television. And here's why. It is such a barbaric procedure, and to see it, go on the Google and look up Silent Scream. You will see a video of ultrasound, being able to see the child and see it being aborted, how it refrains and it tries to hide and run from the needle, but it can't get away and the child's life is slowly taken away. There would be such an outcry from the citizens of the United States. You don't even have to be Christian. You don't even have to believe in God to have some sense of humanity to see that. And to say, this is beyond barbaric, but they won't show it. Another question. And this is, this is honestly where if you believe this, you you need, you need to check your thinking patterns. All right. Here's, here's, here's the question. The, or the statement rather. The government shouldn't be able to tell a woman what to do with her body. It is not, ladies. It is not medically speaking. It has its own set of DNA. It has its own set of fingerprints. It is 
wholly and totally, biologically, it is your child, but it is not you. The unborn child is just not a part of a woman's body, but the mother's body, ladies, God has given you an incredible gift, is there to support the necessary growth of that child to where it is able to be born and raise it up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And when you're old and gray and you need someone to take care of you, they'll be there for you. It's not just a part of the woman's body. Not only does it have a different set of DNA, it has an independent heart wave and brain wave than the mother. This is not out of Backwoods Bible Institute. This is straight up medical science of the 21st century. The infant um, also is able, if it's brought to term, to grow to be its own person separate from the mother. Mark Middleberg said this, All candidates who defend abortion and all who vote for those candidates have one thing in common, they were not aborted. All of you here this morning, we all have one thing in common and that we survived. Especially if you were born after Roe v. Wade like I was. Then another question, at what point does the fetus become a person? And right here I want to make a note. The word fetus is Latin for unborn child or unborn infant. It's a word that the pro-abortion candidates use to throw out, to muddle and dehumanize the unborn child. For example, if I talk to you about an unborn baby, like let's we had an expectant mother in the church and maybe she had complications with the baby, I would use the word baby. But if I said something like, there are complications with the fetus, that's a less human term. Because we don't speak Latin, even if you're edgy, highly educated and you do. If we would have been speaking Latin back in the day and someone would have said fetus, we would have heard and understood unborn child. It's a term used to muddle the debate. So when a person says, no, it's a fetus, you're like, cool, you speak Latin. That's awesome. Do you know what fetus means in Latin? It means unborn infant, unborn child, unborn human being. And you say, Jeff, you seem like you're really fired up this morning. I don't like to see people picked on. All right. Let's talk about special needs people. Doesn't need to happen. If I find you messing with special needs people, and I'm sure all of you will be with me, there's going to be a confrontation. But what I, 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 and here's the thing. I've not been able to wrap my mind around why more of us are not disturbed by the systematic slaughter of our own citizens. I, I, I'm serious. And even sometimes when I can go weeks or a month and not think about this silent scream, it's an indictment on me as an individual, and it's an indictment on our culture. And then when people will talk about it in Christian conversations or get up on a Sunday morning or in a Sunday school class and really lay out the details, people will sit back with arms folded and say, well, you're being too mean. You're being too dogmatic. I'm not dogmatic, believe me. It's truthful. Modern biology, there's three positions on when personhood begins. And we say, Jeff, what do we mean by personhood? Personhood means you are a, you are a person, therefore you get all of the rights that any citizen does here in the U.S. Number one, modern biology and the Bible believe and hold and teach that life begins at conception. That's a fact. Second position, life begins at separation from the mother. Used to support partial birth abortion. That's where the president now stands. And he is the most pro-abortion, and I would say radical, abortion proponent that we've ever had anywhere near the White House. Number three is the argument from consciousness that says a person, a human becomes a person when they are conscious, and that happens around the age of two. Peter Singer of Princeton University is called disaffectionately Dr. Death. Michael Tooley, who teaches philosophy at the University of Colorado, also holds to this position. And our good friends across the pond from Oxford, not all of them, but a group from Oxford, came up with this argument. And it's uh, the, the large British news source, telegraph.co.uk. And here's the title of their research in the article. Killing babies is no different from abortion. Experts say parents should be allowed to have their newborn babies killed because they are, quote, morally irrelevant and ending their lives is no different than an abortion, no different to abortion, a group of medical ethicists, right, say, linked to Oxford University. Now, Most of us in here would say that legalizing taking the life of a one to two year old child is horrific. 
Ultimately, what's the difference? If you say, now Jeff, I'm, I'm for abortion, but I'm not for infanticide, you're simply playing with numbers because whether it is in the womb or whether it's out up until the age of two, it's still 100% human DNA. So, I'm just going to make a statement that if you're not for infanticide, but you're for abortion, you're a hypocrite because your logic doesn't follow your arguments. If consciousness is when personhood begins, if it's when the child exits the mother, then you're simply just playing with figures and it's totally arbitrary. Then some people say, now Jeff, we know you're from Texas and maybe that may be where you get some of your views, you little right-winger, you. Well, I'm, I'm proud to be from Texas and I'm proud to live in Virginia. But what we're talking about is not just political views. We're looking at what current research says, which I think it's really interesting that the Bible and David lived around 1000 BC. Let that just drip down into your ticker up here. 1000 years before Jesus Christ. And he's saying that God knit him together in his mother's womb and that David was David before David was born. And then we hit into this modernistic era post-1950s where people are making arguments for and against abortion. And then we come with the advance of medical research to find out that medical knowledge today agrees with God's Word. Jeff, how does abortion differ from the capital punishment? Say, you know, how can you be pro-life and be capital punishment? Well, number one, you don't have to be for capital punishment and be pro-life. But I would put a little logic note in your mind that are you really going to go to the area to where you're comparing taking the life of an innocent unborn child to taking the life of, let's say, a serial killer? Are you really going to make that argument where you say they're both on the same moral grounds? There's also another argument that says the embryo or the fetus is the biological equivalent of a parasite, ladies, that feeds off its host. Therefore, a woman should be justified in removing such a parasite. To that, I would simply say, I don't know of any parasite that if allowed to come to completion will grow into a human being. And then here's another one. And Paul Ryan was blindsided with this. Regardless of what your political party was, it was a bushwhack. What about abortion to save the life of the mother? Number one, shame on you for using that argument. Here's why. Current research. This is a group in Dublin, scholars, medical persons all across the UK... And we have this on the notes, and you can do a Google search on it. They have come forward with the facts that today in 2012, there is no medical reason why an abortion would save the life of the mother. If you've been to see a mother today, you know she's got nurses and she has doctors and she has all sorts of medical care. They said with the progression of medical knowledge, there is no longer a reason why. We would have to do that to save the life of the mother. So I'm not even going to address that except for to use a pro-abortion scholar back in the 70s. Her name is Judith Jarvis Thompson. I have the original. It's um, the Philosophy and Public Affairs book from Princeton University. All sorts of arguments for and against abortion. She is not a believer. She is for abortion. But she says this in regard to if a woman has a child that is from, let's say, the result of of something as terrible as rape or incest, she says that the law shouldn't require you to carry that baby to completion. But then this unbeliever uses this statement about Jesus and the Good Samaritan. She said a Good Samaritan would be a woman who has a child out of some type of pregnancy she was not expecting. And she says that a minimally decent Samaritan could take the life of the child. But then she said, perhaps he, Jesus, was urging people to do more than is morally required of them. I find it very interesting that one of the 
largest and most popular arguments used to advance abortion in the early 70s, even this lady says that, ladies, you could take the life of the child, but you're showing yourself to be a minimally decent Samaritan when Jesus says we should be a good Samaritan and take the pain of others. You say, well, Jeff, what about rape and incest? Article from the New York Times, which dovetails with other research, says that 0.6 of abortion, 0.6% of abortions are from rape or incest. But always that is brought up. Number one, the life of the mother, according to this group of scholars in the UK, far more liberal than the United States. They're about a generation ahead of us in terms of that, or behind us, depending on your sense of values. And then to bring up the rape issue, it's less than 1%, almost half of 1%. But those are the ones that are always brought up to try to pin people to the wall. We need to take a step back as Bible-believing Christians and say, you know what, we can discuss that, but what about the 90-plus percent pregnancies or so that are terminated and children are killed because simply out of selfishness? And in the case of rape, who's at fault? The father. The mother is not. She is innocent. The child is not guilty. The child is innocent. So why would we punish the child to take his or her life because of something that the dad did? Even Judith Jarvis Thompson again says in regards to the rape argument, surely the question of whether you have a right to life at all or how much of it you have shouldn't, check it out, pro-abortion Non-believer says it shouldn't turn on the question of whether or not you're the product of rape. Have we gone nuts in this country to truly believe that a person's right to life rises or falls depending on what their no good dad did? Are we, are we, are, are we that lacking in the basic rules of logic? Have we gone insane? Are we that? And I'm not putting this out as a put down, but are we that stupid to really think and equate what a dad does to violate the sanctity of a woman that therefore the child should suffer what the dad should probably suffer? I just don't understand the logic at all. And then uh, one of my friends gave me this argument. He says, if we outlaw abortion, won't it mean that more children are raised in poverty? It may be better off for these children to be aborted than grow up in such circumstances. This is, you know, different classmates and so forth. If that's your argument, then why don't you just go ahead and abort all the kids of poor families? Be consistent. If you think that growing up in poverty, that that should resolve the possibility of that child living, then just go through the poor areas of Rocky Mountain, Southwest Virginia, and just say, look, I want to do what's best for you. You're pregnant. Your life is so bad, you'd probably need to take your child. And I think if we went back a generation or so, when less people had money, y'all all right? When most people were raised very poor, maybe people in that situation learn more about family values and learn more what it meant to do more with less and so forth and so on. And shame on you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't think someone's life is worthy of living because they may grow up poor. Shame on you. And then if we outlaw abortion, won't we be pushing women into the alleys of unsafe abortions? If that's your logic, then you need to go ahead and... Remove the laws for all deviant behavior. Then the argument. Religious ideology is no foundation for any law. Freedom of religion is guaranteed to any citizen in the U.S. So why would the beliefs and the values of one religion, all you right-wing fundamentalist Christians, mandate actual laws for all citizens? To that, the court sword cuts both ways. If you're telling me that I don't have any say in politics because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you to take your secularism and your atheism out of the political arena as well. And the Constitution says that there shall be no church state, no state church, no official Baptist congregationalist American state church empire, but it never says that people of faith can't be involved and put their voice in politics. Don't ever be pushed out of the, uh, of the, the arena of debate just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. And then finally, most people who are, this is the argument, most people who are against abortion will never even become pregnant. Men shouldn't have a voice. So at this, I have a special guest 
here to address this from her experience at a crisis pregnancy center. You can go ahead and wake your way up here. And uh, I, I just have to say, I have a lot in common with Bobby Boucher because I love my mama. And this is my mom. And, uh, and she's going to yeah, love you too. But she's going to tell you about her experience working right now and for a while in a crisis pregnancy center and talking with women who have had abortions and are thinking about it. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And I thought he was very brave to have his mother come. I mean, I mean, how many young people would say, Mom, would you, they don't want Mom to say anything, but I really love Jeffrey. And he was, he is a miracle. And I want you to turn to the people by you right now. And I want you to look and say, I'm so glad to see you today. You are a miracle. I want you to look right now. Just turn and tell people right by you. You are a miracle. And you are a miracle. And I'm so grateful. Many, many, many years ago, there was this lady who got married. Her married name was Foster. And she was the mother of seven children. Number five was my daddy. Then there was this other, other, she was tall like me. There was another really sweet lady. She was very petite. She had not five or seven. She had ten children. My mother was number ten of ten children. Number five on this side, number ten on this side, had those moms been living in the Roe versus Wade era, they might have chosen not to have that many children. But they were blessed with God with that many children. I would not have been here. And your pastor would not be here had those women not loved children and had all those children. So I'm, those women are heroes to me and I am so grateful. And I'm, I do work at the Piedmont Women's Center in the Greenville, South Carolina area. When my uh, youngest child is 22, he's in college, his baby brother, and I had homeschooled all those years. I was so 24-7, just so busy doing things and, and uh, building into the lives of my children and the church. Then I'm sitting there, okay, what am I going to do with my life? I, I hope I have a lot more years to do, and I want to live, and I want to live them for Christ. And what can I do in this desperate generation that we live in? Our world is in such turmoil. And since Roe versus Wade, over 50, around 50 million individuals have been killed through abortion. And I thought, well, should I go volunteer down at the homeless shelter for the women or should I volunteer at the Piedmont Women's Center where they're rescuing babies from being aborted. They're helping women to have hope and they share Jesus there. And I thought, mm-hmm, in a home, uh, substitute teach and all, I thought, I think if I could help at the Piedmont Women's Center and hopefully stand in the gap to help someone not choose abortion. And as you know, I, I have, some of you might not know, but I have four sons and one grandson and one grand, uh, a daughter in love. But our third born son, which is his bro- younger brother, Jordan, four years ago died of cancer. I did everything, well, almost everything that I could think of to try to help save Jordan. Health food things, doctors, naturopathic things. We prayed and prayed and prayed, and God allowed Jordan to be called home to glory. One of the things that Jordan said one day, says, Mom, you know what stinks the most about cancer? Is that I'll never get to be married and have children. So I have a little necklace that um, Chemo Angel gave me a few months after Jordan died, and it has a little teardrop, the diamond, and it's an old saying. It says, Heaven has in store that which thou hast lost. And I just love it. So I wear it a lot of times when I go into the counseling center there, there, and cause occasionally a girl will be wanting to have an abortion. And I, and our youngest son says, Mom, when you're in there, I said, what would you say, Jordan, Jeffrey? I mean, Justin, what would you say to someone? He said, Mom, I would plead with them. So I'll sometimes give the story about Jordan that I tried to rescue him. But God chose him to go to heaven. And I'll tell a girl that's in the uh, the clinic there, I said, I want to be an advocate for your little unborn child. Your child is made in the image of God. That child's so special. While when you get to be old, that child could be the one that's going to be your encouragement, that's going to be there for you. It might be your best friend in life. This child could cure the, uh, solve the problem of uh, something that you might be going to die of or get sick of. This child could come up with a cure. 
And so, you know, and I really appeal to them. And many times they'll say, well, you know, I really think I'm going to rethink this. I'm going to have my baby. So there are so many women that come that we have 13-year-olds that have been there before all the way up to their early 40s. They come there to um, some women. They need to have maybe pregnancy Medicaid. They need some help financially to have this baby. They don't have uh, insurance or with the economy like it is. But they come in there, and because we're a Christian ministry, we can share Jesus with them. It is so exciting. Uh, some people say they can go skiing or doing all those things. It's really fun. But one of the stories that happened recently, uh, happened in the past since I've been there, I started volunteering about a year and a half ago, but I've been part-time staff since March. I love whenever the, the young lady or um, um, might be a little bit older, when they come in there to share with them and find out where they are, if they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and to see them come to know Jesus. Well, one day I was going into the uh, clinic and I work at the administration building, but on maybe a couple of days a week, I go to the uh, the uh, Piedmont Women's Center location that is right next door to, guess what, an abortion clinic in the upstate of South Carolina where there are a lot of Christians. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. We have abortions there happening all week long, and it's a strange kind of uh, uh, lot that they're on, so a lot of times women will won't quite see it. And they'll pull into our parking lot. And it's a divine appointment. So they'll they'll drive in there and they'll come in and they'll say, I have an appointment at such and such time. I said, okay. And we, I look up on the wall and that's where we have our uh, schedule for the day. And they'll tell me their name and I'll look and I'll say, they're not on our list, you know. But I'll say, well, may I speak to you just a minute? And we'll go in and we'll talk. Then we tell them right off, we are not the abortion clinic. We're the Piedmont Women's Center. We give free pregnancy tests and we give free ultrasounds, limited ultrasounds. And we give a lot of hope. We give you a lot of material that help you. And, and, all. and so many times they will stay, but sometimes they'll say, well, this is not where I want to be. And I'll, they'll go. And it's so sad when they walk out. Sometimes they're very hard. They're very determined that I'm going to eliminate this pregnancy, which is your a baby is going to die. But one day I was uh, got to the um, this location that's next door to the abortion clinic. And as I was getting out of my car, I noticed two young college girl age girls in a car getting ready to pull out of our parking lot. And I thought, oh, they're probably at the wrong location, they think. And, and I so I hop out and I said, hey, can I help you? And and they said, well, we're at the wrong place. I need, um, I've got an appointment. And I said, well, we're the Piedmont Women's Center and we get free of uh, pregnancies. Do you think you might be pregnant? And she said, well, I know I am and I've already made plans. I'm already registered and all this stuff. And I said, oh, well, would you please come in and let us talk to you? We can give you a free pregnancy test and we can give you lots of information. We can give you information about what abortion is, We, you know, which all the dangerous that can be too and we can tell you uh, alternatives about uh, adoption and about parenting and I said could I run inside and give you a DVD that you can look and, and she says no I've already been inside I've already talked to someone I said yes but I haven't gotten a chance to talk to you and I was really trying to encourage her to come in but she drove off she was nice but she drove off and I walked inside and other staff said what you say and, and then she said I've been talking to her for about 10 minutes and and I and would say, you, you pray in your heart. You hope that they will make right decisions. But when she drove out of our parking lot, she drove the way away from the abortion clinic. She still didn't know, I don't think, where it was right there. It's just right there. And so about 45 minutes later, we're busy. The phone's ringing and people are getting ultrasounds and they're going to the counseling room. They're having pregnancy tests. And lots of excitement going on. And then the, the door opens and I look and I'm at the front window and I say, oh, there's that girl. So she walks up and I pull the window back and I said, could I please offer you a free pregnancy test today? And she said, yes, you can. I said, you've just made my day. So we were so excited. She came back and um, the two of us staff members went back to, to do her um, time and and the staff member told me to share the gospel part, and I did. And she, when you share the gospel, I always like to bring in that Jesus Christ, who he is, he died on the cross for us. He died for our sins, and he loves women. He loves children. He loves these women. I said, you're so precious to God. He, if it's just you and me, he would have died on the cross for us. And and so when I share these things and talk about how you know, God's supposed to be number one, we don't worship any idols, we're supposed to not use God's name in vain, Worship, remember the Sabbath day, keep holy, honor our father and mother, don't murder, bang, 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 you know, and, and don't commit adultery or fornication, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. But I said, if we stand before God, would we be innocent or guilty? And would we, would we be concerned about that? Because we have one life to live and after we die, 
it's, there's judgment. We, we have to give an account of our lives to God. And I said, if we're standing before a holy God and we're, here's the story of our life and he knows everything about us, would we be concerned? We don't know how long. My son was 20 when he went to be with Jesus. The last breath here is the first breath in heaven when you know Jesus. But, you know, if you don't know Jesus, it's eternal separation from God. Hell is terrible and it's forever and ever and ever. Heaven's wonderful. Jesus is there. You're in the presence of the fullness of joy. Do you want to be in the presence of the fullness of joy? I do. I want to be where there's total love and forgiveness. And so, and she that day, she thought, oh, I, I know I've been doing wrong. My, I've not been raised this way. And I, I know I have no 100% assurance that I'm going to heaven. And so she, I said, you can pray at home or you can pray here today. Nailed down. I said, what would you like to do? She says, I want to pray now. I said, and of course, inside I'm going, yay. And so she, and I said, I want to pray for you first, just real short. Then I want you to pretend that we're not even in here. It's just you and Jesus. And you cry out to him. And crying out to him, who ever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that means you're serious. When you're a little child and you got scared or you're sick and you call out for mama, you're serious. Your voice changes. Your mannerisms change. And so we got quiet and I finished mine and she starts praying. And then the tears start coming down. We have Kleenex in every one of our rooms at the Piedmont Women's Center, okay? She is, tears are coming down and she's repenting to Jesus. And she got to have her ultrasound that day, too. When she went back there with her girlfriend, you know, it's it's a little baby in there. It's a little hum, miniature human being in there. They can move. They can feel. When she saw it, she says, oh, that, 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 that's a baby. Look at the hands and arms. And the baby was doing a little show and moving around. And it was so great. And the tears start coming again. And it's, and you know what? It, that, that day I thought, I have had fun today because while she's asking Jesus in her heart, in my heart, I'm thinking that little baby could be on the altars of abortion right now. Instead, that girl was getting right with God and becoming a Christian. And then she gets to go see this little baby going, Woo-hoo-hoo! hey, mama. And she is, and she is in church now and she's growing and it's so awesome. Our youngest son, his baby brother, was having his hair done not long ago, well, a few months ago. And the lady that has done his hair there, she said, well, how's your mom doing? What's she doing? She says, well, he said, she's working part-time at the Piedmont Women's Center. She said, I love that place. Six years ago, I found out that I was pregnant and I thought she was not married. And she told her friend there working, she said, "Um, I cannot do this. She was thinking about abortion. Her friend, very wisely, and I hope you remember this because you might can use it. Her friend says, oh, yes, you can. She said, I can't do it. Oh, yes, you can. Remember that. That helped to save a baby. She said, go down to the Piedmont Women's Center. They'll give you a free pregnancy test. They'll help you and you get your, you can go down to the OBGYN clinic and all that. Anyway, she showed Justin on a picture. She said, my daughter is six years old now. And I have a two-year-old. And she said, they took me into this little building. Of course, it's not a very expensive building. It's it's an older building and little rooms. She said, they took me, these nice people took me into a little bitty room. A nice lady talked to me there and my six-year-old child. Now, sometimes they come in and they don't choose to have life. They, they choose to abort that child, something like that. And that's very, very sad. But also, part of my being part-time, I work with the post-abortion Bible study. And when they asked me to do that part, I've never personally had an abortion. I prayed and prayed and prayed, thinking I'd never have children. And God gave me Jeffrey. Then about three years ago, later, he gave me Joshua. And he's a youth pastor now. And that was his son you saw this morning. Our third-born son played basketball at North Greenville University. And he was the most awesome, brave person in the world. And he's with Jesus now. And our fourth-born is almost ready to graduate from college. And there's such a blessing. And children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord. Now, some of you out here, one in four women have had an abortion in America. So some of you may have had abortions in here. Uh, one in three, they say, if you're 35 years old and older, younger. I had a call when I was in the office this week in the abortion recovery office. A lady called me from another state. She's 63 years old. She had an abortion 30-something years ago. It has torn her up all these years. There was an affair, and she got pregnant while she was married. 
Didn't want her husband, our children to know. Slips off to the abortion clinic, thinking everything would be okay. She has helped held a deep, deep wound and deep, deep grief, deep, deep sorrow, deep, deep shame all these years. A friend of hers recently gave her a copy of this Set Free movie. She's an actress on front, but the people on the back are South Carolina residents who have had abortions before. One lady was a um, high school cheerleader, had one each year of high school, four. Um, some of these have had two. One guy, I've met him too, uh, uh, there, he paid for abortions for girlfriends, okay? So it's not just the woman, it's the man, and it's sometimes the mother and the grandmother and everybody else. But these people went through the Bible study, and uh, I have some free copies over here. If uh, you know anyone who has had an abortion or is contemplating an abortion, you're welcome to have these. And if you've ever had one yourself, I really encourage you to take one of these. I've watched it about seven times. It's very, very touching. And we have set free, uh, forgiven and set free Bible studies that we do in the Greenville area. People come in from other areas sometimes to take it also. And they go train other locations how to, to do the Bible study. Tomorrow night will be our memorial service. There are uh, two groups of Bible studies going on right now in Greenville. They're going to come tomorrow night. We'll have a, a worship service. They will have candles. They will have cards set up that the moms have named their children. Because when my son went to be with, in heaven, we had a funeral. I could grieve. And if people saw me cry, they thought, that's normal. She's supposed to cry. But a woman that goes and has an abortion, then she gets in the car and goes home. Many people say, I've never told anybody that I've had that. So, you know, if they cry, they don't want anybody to know why they cry. And they have that deep, deep grief because we've violated our conscience. And when the women can go through something like this, it's okay to cry. It's okay to name that child. And you can have that memorial time then. And we know that when they die, they're with Jesus. And so during the Bible study, one of the times they do, they'll hold a little miniature replica, you know. And I, the summer I saw, I went to, through one of the Bible studies and see them look up to heaven, knowing their child's in heaven, and they're just pouring their heart out in sorrow that they chose that, made that choice years ago, but now they know that God has forgiven. And that, that deep wound that has all those bandages, it's way down deep. The bandages are taken off. The Holy Spirit goes down deep into that wound, that sorrow and that grief, and cleans it out. And they cry out to God with forgiveness, and they receive God's forgiveness. People say, I can't forgive myself. Well, God's the one that forgives us. We receive his forgiveness for what we've done, whatever we've done in our life. But we go to him. And one of the verses that um, it says in, in this book right here, this lady um, had an abortion as a college student. Her boyfriend did not want her to have one. She had one anyway. She is happily married now, but cannot have children. Two of the facilitators that did this summer, and one of them spoke on our local television station. She was 16, had a boyfriend, said if you told him she was expecting a baby, said if you had the baby, I'll drop you. She had an abortion so she could keep the boyfriend, and within a month or two, most a lot of guys will drop the girl anyway if they have an abortion because they have guilt too. And so um, it's really sad. But anyway, she is awesome. She's had one ectopic pregnancy and two miscarriages, has never had a baby. The other one, two abortions, she's happily married, cannot have children. So sometimes that's a side effect. But there's a verse that talks about how, in Ezekiel, how he will sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean. So when that wound gets open to God and you admit God can clean it out, and can heal you from the inside out. If you had surgery, some surgeries, they say, we're not going to close the wound up. We want it to have air. We want it to heal from the inside out. So we need to heal from the inside out. And many people in pro-life now have had the sorrow and the traumatic uh, happenings in their life where they've had abortions before. And now they are so pro-encouraging other people. And one person told me recently that they knew a lady who... It was a rape situation, and she didn't believe in abortion, and she was raising that daughter, and that daughter said to her mom, she said, you're very, very brave. Thank you for not making me be punished for my father's sin. And then I thought about that, and I said, you know what? None of our fathers were without sin, were they? My daddy was a sinner. Was yours? You know, we're all sinners. Nobody can throw a stone. One of the ladies helping with the Bible studies right now is named Della. 
And when she, she wrote this in 1994, she had had an abortion. She went through the Bible study. And when they do the memorial service, they do something special for the child, a song or a poem or a verse, or they might just say a little something if they'd like to. But this lady uh, did this poem, and if you get the DVD, it is done by a couple actors in it. Somebody has the voice of God in it, and somebody's the voice of the child. But I want to read this to you if I could. Now, um, this is just what she felt like she was going to share for her. It says, it's a pre-born child's conversation with um, the Heavenly Father. Father God, when is my mommy going to come here? Talking about heaven. Soon, my child, soon. Can you tell me how long? There is no measure of time with me, my child. She is busy right now doing the work I've given her to do. When all is done, she'll be here. Is she going to know me when she gets here? Yes, she will, my child. I'll let her know. What does she look like, Father God? Why, she looks a lot like you, my child. The same color hair, the same eyes, the same nose. You resemble her a lot. What do you think she's going to do when she sees me? Why, she will run to you, take you in her arms, and love you just as any other loving mother would do. Father God, why has she never held me in her arms before? She never had a chance to. My child, why did she never have a chance to, Father God? I don't remember, my child. Now, God chooses whether to remember or not, right? He knows everything, but it says, Hebrews eight twelve: For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sin no more. So if you've been touched by abortion, you can go to God. I encourage you to get involved in a Bible study that will help you. You're welcome. And this other lady, she wrote a book, Shattered into Beautiful. I'll leave it here also. It's her story. She was shattered, but yet she's beautiful now. So if you've been shattered and wounded, there is a healing, forgiving God.